We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet online the fastest and easiest and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, Allen, I'm going to need you, buddy. I'm going to need you. The Masters and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. Allen, real quick, who's your pick to win the tournament? Right now, it's Baylor. Baylor? But this is probably, I know every year we say it's the most unpredictable. It's literally the most unpredictable. Like You have teams like San Diego State and Dayton as major contenders, and these are mid-majors. Oh, I can't wait to throw some of my money away. And if I am, I'm going to head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money. The best part, you'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, the promo code is BLUEWIRE, all one word. And you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. I just like the sound of it. Yes. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. At Veterans Minimum is where you can find the show. I am your delightful host. Some would say wonderful. At the Lamb Show, baby. My guy, always joining me. A double L E N. What up? Switching up this time. Yeah, sometimes I give my government. Sometimes I give my handle. Sometimes I give just the show. All right. You know I'm a wild card, man. Man of many talents. I like to think so. We're, we're, go, we're switching up, though, when it comes to sports. No football. We're going 
to the cage. Yeah. MMA talk. Yeah, and and very very cool episode ahead as you guys could see in the title of the episode, the man needs no introduction. You'll hear from Ariel Hawani. Uh but Alan, you had a good idea about we should really talk more about how we got into MMA. And our love for the sport, which over the years, man, and I got to give a shout out to my guy, Jared. Jared Gordon has been on the show a few times. Actually spoke to him today. Going to try to get a fight in May, which is going to be dope. Big fight for him now because he's, you know, he's uh, three and three in the UFC. So what weight class is he looking at? He's, he's looking to go to 145. Oh, man. That big weight, weight cut. cut. That yeah, weight cut. Big weight cut for the boy. If, if you watch... UFC closely. You've seen Jared Gordon fight. He, uh, he pretty long and lanky, pretty massive. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's very thick too. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be. A but after cut. seeing Jose Aldo cut to one thirty five, anything, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's looking to get back on. And I I can't lie, man. I do feel when you have a dog in the fight, when. Not the rumors, but when the idea of a dude from the neighborhood having a chance to be a UFC fighter, mm-hmm. I got more attached to it. And also the gambling stuff, DraftKings, I play it every single card. I watch every card at Josh's crib. I was actually yeah. there over the weekend, Felder and Hooker. Did yeah. you watch that? Did not. Dude. I was. It was all Fury Wilder yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. you. I feel you. And it was also an Australia card, so that started at around 4 Nah, New Zealand. Don't disrespect oh, us. Oh, you're right. Big rivalry. <laughs> Yo, Australia's gonna yeah, be here. Damn, we got some Aussies. You know what's crazy, man? We actually have a big audience down in Australia. So shout out to those it's guys. It's a great country. You ever been? No, I've not. You have family down there, don't you? Yeah, my mom was born in Melbourne, but she just hates flying. Like it's a it's a problem for her even to get to Croatia at this point. She's like, I'm not doing 20 hours to go to Australia. So damn, it's 20 hours from here. Yeah, it's it's like a whole day pretty much. So you know, it's, cra- I, it's Croatia. That's it. Yo. Do you know uh, one of my first memories of you was me Curious. making fun of Andrew Bogut? And you just, right, man. And you just snapping on me. You're like, "Hey, fuck off, man!" Not just that, but he's he's Croatian and Australian, so he's like that's like a Yo, brother right yeah, there. And and he's and he's been very good for the site. I used to write for him. Still good buddies with him. Uh, CroatiaSports.com. He was like the first ever NBA player to actually like give interviews because they would get credentials because they're based in California, so they would travel to. Oakland to go to the Warrior Games, and he was always the closest. He would give him like 10, 12 minutes. Like after games, sometimes you know, a lot of players will only give you like three or five minutes. Once he saw creation sports, he's like, Wow, I want to. Like, he gets he wants to talk about the culture, he wants to talk about the lifestyle over there. So, he was always one of the most nicest, most accommodating guys. And I always just appreciate him because growing up when I played basketball, I was the center that had to do a lot of dirty work and just you know, fouling out every third, fourth game and being criticized a lot. I felt like Bogut got a lot of unwarranted criticism, just being that center that had to do a lot of things dirty. But yeah, that's my guy right there. So, I, I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. just won the NBA Finals too. So, I was yeah, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you let me have it. I deserved it though. I was being a troll. Yeah. That th- those were all my troll days where I'd speak. But I do think getting into this genre of work kind of can't be a troll. It's kind of hard to go back and forth with people, don't you think? Yeah, because it, first off, your reputation is everything, and you just don't want to be viewed as that. Okay, that you can make like hard comments. Yeah, just, but yeah. I, I, and look, to be fair, yeah. if if me and you were to go at it on Twitter, it would be coming from a good place yeah like we're friends right, you know right. what i'm saying so, i think the last time we did was when uh columbia played england the world cup and like hamas didn't play and like you're just like why are you because columbia looked terrible you know they almost beat england but i was just like 
man, they're like a top 10 team in the world. Like, they lose one player, and now they can't put together three passes. And I, don't, I don't know. I feel like you were just like, yo, they don't have Hamas. I'm like, yo, they're better than this. And like, we like, we had like a brief argument. It was like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, you know, I know people always lose their mind when like Stephen A. Smith says uh, Terrence Williams and the boys. Did you catch that? It's like Terrence <laughs> yo, that, Williams hasn't played yo, in they like got, three years. A lot of them Man, they use him way too yo, much. Oh, yeah. Right? They run him to the ground, yo. Shout out to Stephen A. Smith. He's everywhere. But. <laughs> He's still recovering from the Wilder loss. Oh, man. A lot of people were. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, yo, backtracking, right? I got into MMA. I've told this story many, many times. I knew about it for a while. Do you know why? I'm a big uh, wrestling fan. Who Ken is, Shamrock. There you go, yeah, baby. Easy. Ken Shamrock, world's most dangerous man, coming on over to WWE in the late 90s during the Attitude Era. And you would always hear UFC, UFC. And, you know, it was synonymous with me because it was the three letters, UFC, and then you had WWF at the mm-hmm. time. So those always kind of resonated with me. But I always heard about UFC. I never watched it. But it was weird because I knew about Chuck Liddell just because of his appearance. Like, he had the unique haircut, mm-hmm. stood out. He was yeah. a star. Uh, I knew about the Tito Ortiz rivalry. Randy Couture. Yeah, yeah, I knew about those guys, yeah. but I never really watched. It wasn't until I went to Cancun, spring break 2010, about a decade now. Shout out to my guy, George. We're down there, and it was GSP and Hardy. And he told us, he's like, guys, I want to go partying. I want to club and whatnot. But he's like, my guy is fighting. UFC, it's the pay-per-view. We got to go to a bar to watch this. So I was like, all right, dude, I've always wanted to get into the UFC, but I never had a reason to. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, yo, we got to go. So we go to a Hooters down there. Dude, the place is packed to the top it, for this. Yeah, because this this one, the sport was started really to And it popular. was like a cult. They had like a cult following. Yeah. Would you would you agree with that? Right. I would say like the surge really came in like 05 because I was ultimate fighter. Mm-hmm. And then brought on to the sport. And that event i'll never forget shane carwin just obliterated frank mir and Carl went on to go fight lesnar a few months later so yeah the co-main was like an interim heavy because that's when brock had the diverticulitis he yeah was cruising me back but so yeah that fight and then saint pierre was really starting to establish himself as a credible star and dan hardy was like this he was the outlaw that was his nickname but he really was from non New england this guy with the red mohawk big striker yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was a really big card that you saw at the time because i got into sport 09 and i remember watching that and i was like wow this is a really good card so from then on I just would start, I would start watching every pay-per-view. But at the time, though, they didn't really have many fight nights. In no, there. it was very much one or two events a month. Yeah, it was a pay-per-view and then maybe like a fight night because they would have like the spike and then they would try, I think Fuel was it? Or they they had so many different networks, but they never really quite got onto a major one. Because ironically, Strikeforce got onto CBS, mm. their rival company. But then they got kicked off because infamously, you're going to like this one. It was uh, Dan Harrison, Jake Shields. Jake Shields upsets Dan Henderson, but afterwards, Mayhem Miller, for good old Billy Beatdown days, comes into the octa- uh, cage at the time. They didn't call it the octagon. Uh, comes to the cage. Jake Shields, he wants his rematch because they fought Shields beam in a close decision. All of a sudden, the Diaz brothers get involved. Let's go, my cousins. They jump Mayhem Miller on TV. Gus Johnson goes, uh, Sometimes these things happen on May. Guys have high testosterone. Goes, gentlemen, we're on live television. Gentlemen, please. Meanwhile, you have both Diaz brothers, Melendez, just jumping May and Miller. Scrap pack, right? Yeah, scrap pack. This is on CBS at the time, and CBS cut them off. So that's why when the whole UFC Fox deal happened in 2011, it was like, wow, okay, at least a major challenge got on board because CBS, they were just frowned upon because it's like a huge brawl just happened in the middle on TV. It's just a bad look. So CBS kind of got out of the MMA after that. 
Wow, that's a dope story. You man. should you, look on YouTube. I'll never forget Gus Johnson just young. Gentlemen, we're on live television. More Ronaldo's in the back too. My God, Mama Mia! <laughs> so, because you got into it by 2010, I got into it in like 2009. Mm. UFC 100 was when the sport just for me just completely took over. You had Lesnar Mir the rematch. GSP fought Tiago Alves, and then Dan Henderson fought Michael Bisping. This one, the Ultimate Fire, was crazy popular, and it was like England against Amer- against the United States, and that's when Dan Henderson put Michael Bisping on every highlight reel possible. So that was like the card that really got me in. But I didn't start consistently watching until 2011, and it was Super Bowl weekend on Anderson Silva front kick Vitor Belfort. Yeah, that blew my mind because I was just like, you have Anderson Silva like. I I heard of Anderson Silva, but it was just like, oh, it's a Brazilian guy because I'm just like, I don't know what to make of him, karate. But when you see him just live on pay-per-view and just the reflex and just the technical ability. And John Jones is on the card. This is when John Jones was coming up. He just obliterated Ryan Bader. Just beat him pussy. Like German suplexed him at one point. Crazy. And then a month later, he fought Shogun and won the title. So between mu- That was a month later? Yeah, he fought Shogun short-term no- uh, notice because Rashad Evans was to fight him. Rashad got injured. And this is when Rashad and Jones were both in Jackson's. And once John Jones got the title, I remember Ariel was interviewing Rashad Evans. He says, yeah, I got to leave Jackson's now. He couldn't be in the same room with John Jones because both guys were pretty much going to eventually fight at some point, but they just didn't want to, Rashad didn't want to be in the area, and I think he feels like Greg Jackson betrayed him. It was like a real dramatic thing at the time because this is when Jackson's was at its peak. It had so many champions. So that was it's kind of crazy that like 2009, 2010, that was like the time I started getting into it, and then you eventually started getting into it, and I think that's when the sport really got popped because then the Fox deal came in 2011, and that's when we saw guys like Anderson Silva and John Jones and GSP really take over the sport. Because we started going to the beer garden and we would start going out for the pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely, I started getting all my friends involved. Like uh, Dylan and I were, I would say we were like the first fans of our group to be UFC fans. That's interesting because Dylan, I don't remember like him being totally with it. He really yeah. got into it hardcore when Connor came around. Yeah. Like, but we would always talk about it. It was like one of those things where you were a fan of that rock band before they blew up kind of thing. They were, they were underground. Yeah. I, I feel like that UFC, I believe it was 188, if I'm right, was McGregor Mendez. That car, I remember, that was like the first time I watched with every, you know, all the guys. And I remember, you know, the McDonald Waller fight. People were just like, yeah, this is, this yeah, is some yeah. next level epic stuff. And then the McGregor Mendez, I'll never forget, Josh is like, why is there room for Connor? Chad's American. Yeah. You know what I'm Kurt Angle. Like, yeah. Dill was in it too. But I just think eventually everyone got on board with Connor just because of the pizzazz and just, you know, the way he talks and just, you know, his style. But I feel like that was a big turning point in the sport just because even though McGregor Seaver was like a big moment just because I believe it was on Fox Sports 1 and I think it broke like every rating on Fox Sports 1 at the time. Because Fox Sports 1 was only around for like a couple years at the time. But when McGregor beat Mendez, that's when everything took over. That's when I believe the McGregor era started. So you would say with the Mendez fight? Yeah, I think that really put him over the top. Because then all he fought Aldo in December. And that's mm-hmm. when, you know, 13 seconds. Yeah. yeah. But I also think we, we got to give a shout out to Ronda. Ronda oh, Rousey. yeah. We're, we're, we cannot overlook that. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm friends, so I could go by her first yeah. name. Basically. <laughs> but, dude, I think her impact and, you know, to relate it to wrestling, which I'll always do if I get the chance. The women started their push in WWE. And that was around the same time. If you line it up, it was not that far off when Ronda was running wild in the UFC. Started in 2013. Ronda it was around there. Ronda, and yeah. in 2013, it was the, the WrestleMania in jersey okay and that's when the women's match got just taken off the card that's right i was there oh, because bro. <laughs> it was cm punk and undertaker yeah. that match went over the time limit and then they just scratched it and then they started to diva give divas a chance yeah. 
And I think a lot of that had to do with the success of Ronda Rousey, where she was just running wild through everyone. Dude, she was a megastar, bro. She, and I know her, her, her pay-per-view buy rates were huge. Yeah, her her fall from grace from the UFC, everyone knows about it. It's well documented. But she's in the Mount Rushmore for the UFC as far as mainstream appeal. That goes without saying, but what they meant to the sport. And Pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to get women And I'm not involved. even saying women. I'm saying yeah. UFC fighters. Right. Because just the opportunity. It's like, okay, you're going to be on a Ronda Rousey card. You're going to get way more exposure. Like I, I don't know what example comes to mind off the top of my head, but you know, there's definitely fighters that had the benefit being on a Ronda Rousey card. Oh, how about this? Uh, Cody Garbrandt, when he totally schooled Dominic Cruz, that was on the Ronda Man Nunez card. Okay, mm. Ronda, Ronda. That was a rough night to say the least, but... It's stuff like that, and I think, all right, Garbrandt's kind of fallen from grace a bit, but he's still, that night, he was a superstar. The way he schooled Dominic Cruz, incredible. You know, so you have those kind of moments where you could be a co-main. That's why I like to see guys, whether you're on a Connor card or John Jones card, you just got to take that moment and just establish yourself. Well, I remember watching a interview of Karate Hottie, Michelle Waterson. Mm-hmm. They did... She's one of the first female fighters, by the way. True OG. Yeah, yeah. she was... Well, Dana White was telling some of the fighters, and he was talking to ESPN because she had the whole push for mom champ. She wanted to be the first champion that had a kid already. Mm -hmm. And he was saying about the Conor Khabib card how the pre-fights, the prelims, are going to get higher numbers than some fight night cards because it's Conor Khabib. So, yeah, sure, you're the featured prelim, but, dude, that's a big spot to be in when you have – the Ronda Rousey's, John Jones, Khabib's, mm-hmm. Connors of the world. Because mm-hmm. people are, you know, they're getting themselves situated. It's 9, 9.30. They're going to put on the card. All right, let me get going. You know, and who knows? I'm like, I'll never forget when Connor fought uh, Eddie Alvarez. Like, Khabib fought Michael Johnson on, on the prelims. They, that first time a sheet card, they beyond stacked that. That was actually, like, one of the best cards ever. Like, you had Khabib on, the, on their card. And I was not Yoel need Chris Weidman mm. to another dimension. <laughs> MSG went MSG went quiet real quick. Yeah, I'm about to put you on the spot right now. Yeah. Who who's your who's your favorite fighter of all time? Well, for me, Creation Roots. It's Mirko Krokop. Even though oh. he didn't have a great UFC run, but he was a Pride legend. You know, Pride. Ironically, I did not really get into Pride. A lot of Creations got into Pride. I just I don't know. I was young. Didn't really get into. I don't know if it was like a thing. Just me not wanting to watch violence. Even though I grew up watching wrestling. But Pride was just something where they had soccer kicks and it was just the most violent thing possible. But, you know, Crow Cop kind of started for me just, you know, his kickboxing and just, you know, things up. And now I've seen Stipe. I was going to say, right. Stipe. They trained together too. He brought Stipe in for a whole month. They trained in Zagreb. So uh, he's definitely someone that I always consider my favorite. But I got, I've got i always been a huge Carl's Conduct guy, Diaz Brothers, uh, Frank Mir. A lot of OGs coming yeah, from you, right? I just, they've always been my guys. And, you know, Mazal is now definitely up there. Um, it's just I love strikers. That's always been my thing. I, yeah, I like the personalities of trash talkers, but me, I'm a pure guy. With I see someone that's just vicious when it comes to striking. That's my fear. That's why I like guy like Alistair Overeem. Absolutely adore Alistair Overeem because that guy his highlight reel of knockouts is like thirty different kinds. Do you find yourself having a favorite fighter in each weight class, or is it just one guy or one or two that covers all bases? One or two. Like I don't really like to pinpoint weight class. So I do definitely do have my favorites. Like I think now Asanya is someone that I can't love. Asanya, bro, I, he's taken over. That's yeah. someone you have to love. I, you know, I'm going next weekend, right? <sighs> You're gonna be on for a show, man. Because say what you want, but Yo Romero, there's no such thing as a dull Yo Romero fight. You're gonna see just 
the most unexpected things. Yeah, and also uh, Joanna's on that card too. She's got big tests. Yeah, Wei Lee. Yeah. Man, it's always been a bucket list of mine to go out to Vegas for a, a big fight. It's just always been, and how how much I love the UFC, and also my birthday is the the eleventh of March, so I figured give myself a nice little birthday gift, and I got a couple of fun stuff planned for the show as well, so I'm very excited for that. It's a T-Mobile, yeah, T-Mobile. Okay. Yeah, I've not heard like compared MGM to T-Mobile. I'm it's about sure. eight thousand more seats. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they do say that the aura of the MGM is still where. You know, you've had Tyson there. You've had all these it, big just boxing. a Fury Wilder there. Yeah, Fury yeah. Wilder was so, there over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, for me, man, it's GSP, my my number one guy, and I've become a Max guy, Max Holloway. He's in the, he's kind of in the Asanya category where it's just like it's impossible not to enjoy yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I love how he handles himself after losses. He's like, yo, it is what it is, man. I'm young. I'm 28. He's my age. Too. Hasn't had too many losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adesanya also. The reason why I really like Adesanya is because. I saw his debut. I remember I was in the MMA qualifier on DraftKings, and I took him, and he was I swore guy. we watched that fight. We did. We yeah. were at Markle's yeah. crib. And that was a night where it was his first fight. He was this big, you know, huge kickboxing prospect, mm-hmm. and he made the transition over. And he was just so unique, right? Mm-hmm. The style bender thing, his antics, his dancing and whatnot. And, yo, he's become a star, dude. He really has. And, and you don't see too many kickboxers anymore. It's mostly wrestlers and jujitsu practitioners. So and see the actual kickboxer now – fight at the highest level and i remember in the qualifier he was like 16 percent on only four people had him and he he got a finish and mm-hmm. that really sent me over the top oh. ironically you know what the main event for that was it was romero rockhold yeah, yeah man rockhold I, I was a definitely a big rockhold guy poor guy just fall from grace dude guy's hot though he should just go into oh, he models i know yeah, yeah. Uh, dude one of the biggest flexes i ever see in my life he was supposed to fight i think it was yeah jan blockowitz in he was to fight like three weeks later in, Ju- uh, in July in like San Antonio. I think that was when Dos Anjos fought Leon Edwards. They wanted to put that fight in the main event. Rockhold had a scheduled photo shoot for Ralph Lauren that weekend. He's like, I can't do it. Keep me on the Vegas card. And then he got his jaw broken. Yeah, but it's still like, that's one of the funniest fucks. Like, yo, I can't fight. I got to do this volley shoot. Like, I got to respect it, man. Did this shit my whole All right, guys, as you know, here on Veterans Minimum, I do like to pull the curtain back on how we do things, especially when the NFL season is done, Alan. Uh, the episodes, we don't entirely record on the day that they go out, right. but when A-double-L-E-N calls me and says, we have an icon, a member of the Mount Rushmore of sports media of this generation, you maneuver everything around, Alan. And as you guys saw in the description of the title... The icon that I'm referencing is not Sting, though I'm a big wrestling fan. The guy I'm talking about is the voice of MMA, Ariel Hawani. Thank you, thank you so much, and welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I don't know about the icon stuff. That's maybe one of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard, but I appreciate it. And it's uh, very kind of you, and it's great to be on. Uh, quite frankly, I've been waiting for you guys to ask me to be on, and uh, I'm a little offended it took you this long. Listen, you're the one of the more busiest individuals going out there. Come you're on, covered. man. You're on ESPN one week. Uh, you'll cover it. You're in Oklahoma City. Then you're in Houston. You're on the move. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. It's good to be on. I appreciate it very much. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored anyone ever wants to talk to me. So thank you. I, I'm, I'm not trying to just hype you up. I, I mean all of that sincerely. Uh, you do strike me as an individual who's super humbled and laid back. 
Uh, I've been following your career for a very long time. Big fan of your work. I was super excited when you got to uh, a, a big network like ESPN because MMA was something that you co-signed from the beginning. And I think that's a cool place to start as far as what was it about MMA that made that your thing? And you said, you know what, I'm going to go all in on something that's not entirely getting the mainstream appeal that it deserves, but I do have high hopes for it one day. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's 100% accurate. Um, I was always a big sports fan growing up. Uh, NBA was my favorite league, but I love Major League Baseball, love the NFL, and obviously growing up in Montreal, you have to be an NHL fan. Um, sorry, growing up in Montreal, you have to be an NHL fan. And, and uh, you know, to me, uh, NHL was actually my, my fourth favorite of, of the leagues. And so I, I, even though I was, I was a Canadian, I, I never loved it as much as the others. But I was also uh, a huge combat sports fan. And I loved basketball. Excuse me, I loved the pro wrestling. And I loved uh, boxing. And then when mixed martial arts started to become a thing in the 90s, I was intrigued by it. But it was obviously very hard to you know, follow it as closely as the others. And I had this epiphany when I got to Syracuse University in 2001 uh, with dreams of becoming a journalist slash broadcaster for the first time in my life I was surrounded by like-minded people growing up in Montreal where I grew up no one really wanted to be a broadcaster none of my friends really cared about that sort of thing when I got to Syracuse it seemed like everyone wanted to be a broadcaster and everyone wanted to be the next football baseball basketball guy and I've never been someone who liked to follow the path of others I, I was always kind of an underdog and i viewed mma as kind of an underdog sport at the time it was just eight years old but it had the elements that i love of, of boxing which is you know mano y mano who's the better man um you know the grudge matches and and the anticipation and the build-up and all that stuff it had that but it also had the, the pomp and circumstance the showmanship the pageantry of pro wrestling and it, it had both in my opinion, which I thought was a great concoction. And so I recall very vividly, I remember where I was when I told my parents, you know, there's this sport called mixed martial arts that I'm really interested in that no one else seems to be interested in. And of course, there's people covering it. I wasn't a pioneer or anything like that. But I feel like in 10 years, it's going to be really big. I feel like it's going to be a lot more popular than it is today. And I feel like there's going to be some executive in some office who recognizes that but doesn't know anything about it and doesn't know anyone who covers it and is going to tell the people he works with like who's the guy we need to hire the guy and i want to be in that position i want to be known as the guy uh, because it's very rare that you can be known as the guy that that you know that early in your career in a sport that's in its infancy uh just eight years old like when does that ever happen and so i just i just had a feeling about it and uh you know obviously worked my my way up and, and spent a lot of time at it uh, and luckily, it, it paid off. It uh, it ended up probably being bigger than I thought it would be. Now you're most known for your interviews. That just you take a lot of pride in you know, whether it's reaching out to fighters or managers or even you know presidents in some cases. Uh, before you establish yourself, you I remember you told a story about you would even go on MySpace to reach out to fighters. How has it been like before establishing yourself? You know, just the process of connecting with fighters and just making sure you got interviews down. Because back in the days when you did your website with Jerry Park. You try to get something up every day. Uh, just explain the process of what that was like and how you think it just played like a pivotal role in your rise. Yeah, and, and it really started when I was in Syracuse because when I decided that 
you know, I wanted to really focus on this. Um, there's there's three main student stations at Syracuse. There's uh, one called WAER, which uh, has the broadcast rights for uh, the basketball and football team. And that's where all the, the big shots went. Um, and that's where, you know, some of the biggest names that graduated or went to Syracuse, like Marv Albert and Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, they all worked there. So they all wanted to be play-by-play guys. Then there was another one called Z89, which was um, a music station. But a, a lot of, you know, talented people were there. Um, and a lot of people that, that went on to do great things uh, worked there as well. And then there was one called WERW, which was in the student center in, no joke, a closet with the, the crappiest equipment that you've ever, uh, you've ever seen. And this, again, is back in 2001. So I actually worked at WARW, WAER um, for one semester. That was the one that produced all the famous broadcasters. It felt like a country club. It wasn't my style. And so I decided to part ways. I worked also at Z89 in the middle of the night. It was like a 2 a.m. shift. And the problem was I really wanted to talk about sports and things like that. But in between the songs, I would talk about sports. Um, I remember the Yankees were playing the D-backs in the World Series. And they told me, like, you talk too much in between the songs, so maybe this isn't for you. And so I went to WERW, the really crappy station, and they gave me a two-hour slot um, on Saturday mornings. And uh, that was great. That's all I really wanted is just to talk about fight sports. And so dating back to then, I would send emails to people um, via their website because there was really no social media asking them to come on the show. People like uh, Bruce Buffer and Dan Severn, people like that, and also some pro wrestlers as well, would write back to me. And that's how I would get guests on the show, get guests on the shows. And, and to be honest, almost 20 years later, um, which is, it just blows my mind just saying that, I pretty much do the same thing. Like, I, I pretty much reach out to people. Now, of course, I have a lot of people's phone numbers, so it's a lot easier. But every guest that you see on the show till this day uh, are booked by me. I reach out to them. I reach out to their manager. And uh, it's, it's still like that same grind. And so even when I went on to have my own website, reaching out to people, it was always me reaching out via MySpace and then Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. Um, it's, still, it's still the same stuff that I do. I, I still kind of feel like I do the same show that I did back in 2001. Of course, now it's on a bigger platform and there's more people involved. But at its core, I feel like it's still the same thing. That's so awesome to hear about keeping the good connections and doing everything yourself because, you know, it's it's what got you to the big dance, as they say. And that's why I said in the beginning that you strike me as a very humble individual and continuing to go through that process the day in, day out. And yeah, you're right. It is a lot easier now that you've built yourself to be such a big name and you do have people's numbers and emails. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot easier to get a hold of them. It is a lot easier, but still, man, until this day, it's still a grind. And uh, I'm still extremely thankful that anyone wants to talk to me. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Um, and I make a point to thank them after the show privately um, and to tell them how much I appreciate it. I, I don't care if they're on the first fight of the card or the main event. Anytime I can get someone after a big weekend, that really means a lot. Because, you know, um, these guys, they train for months. They prepare and then all of a sudden, you know, the fight's over and there's a lot of emotion involved. And maybe on Monday they don't want to talk to anyone. You know, maybe they mm -hmm. just want to be left alone. And the fact that 
more often than not, they, they come and talk. Still really means a lot to me, and I don't feel like I'm doing them a favor. I, I feel very, very strongly that they're doing me a favor, and I'll, I'll never take that for granted. Yeah, I'm always fascinated when they give you time on your show after a devastating loss. One of my, or or just a, a loss in general. One of my favorite interviews that you've done as of late or recently, I would say, is having Ben Askren on after one of his losses. And you know, this is a guy who came in with so much momentum into the UFC, and you know, he fizzled out. Unfortunately, his career didn't go as he wanted to go. But how how do you how do you feel about the fighter that comes on and gives you his time after a loss of that magnitude? Oh, that just, you know, I mean, that, that's now, now we're like the same emotions that I just told you about. Now you can just multiply them by 10. Mm. And I'm always very careful about that, especially after a loss, you know, sometimes the, the loser interview is, is more compelling than the, the winner interview. Right. Um, there's just a lot more there. But I don't want to, you know, man, there's so much emotion and uh, it, there's devastation and they've put so much time in and who knows when they'll be back. And so for someone like Ben, after a loss like that to come on, I, I, was, I was blown away. And, and like that particular one, how that happened was I, I just, you know, I, I try to be a human being and not just ask these guys for things all the time. And so there's often times where I reach out to them and I'm not asking for anything. And so in that particular case, I just reached out to him and said, you know, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, and then he wrote back to me. And then we started talking about it. And he seemed to be, like, in really good spirits. And so I said to him, I wrote back to him at one point. I was like, hey, I, I, I apologize for asking you this, but you seem to be in a pretty good mood. Would you like to come on the show Monday and talk about it? And he said, yep, no problem. And, and I was blown away by that. Um, same thing happened recently with Dominic Reyes. I was talking to him after the fight, and he seems to be in a good mood. So you kind of try to gauge the situation, mm. and he said, "Yeah, no problem." Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for that when that happens. Like that, that goes above and beyond. Um, so it's like, yeah, those things. I mean, they could talk to anyone, or they could they could just say, "No, nah, I'm not feeling it. I need a break." Um, so those are really cool moments, and those are moments that I'll forever cherish. I also do think more fighters becoming more media savvy, and obviously with your platform, they see it as a way to get their message across. So, you know, with the sport elevating, you know, now it's on ESPN. I think fighters now know they have a platform; they could get their name out there, and you know, through you. So, I think now with the sports rise, it definitely certainly helps you. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there there is definitely something to that, and it benefits them as well. Uh, but there's many options, right? There's many different places they can go. Um, Luckily, like we built a thing with the show where it's Monday, you know, I don't, I don't know if that show has the same impact on Thursday or Wednesday, but because it's Monday and it's relatively early in the day, you know, it's, it's one of the first opportunities to get the message out there. Um, and that just kind of happened organically, but that was always kind of the dream um, after the show to where it becomes like, you know, the show of record after the events on Saturday, the, the sport is, is, tailor-made for a show like that and uh, luckily after all these years it's kind of gone into that groove i know with the talk about is our media savvy i'm going to transition someone that's not necessarily media savvy the 2019 fire year see what Jorge masvidal did you interviewed him 
back in 2010 when he wanted to get back at Toby Amada. I think one of the coolest things about you is this: you have these relationships with these old school fighters. You know, Maslow, I guess you could classify as an old school fighter. And now just seeing him rise to superstar status nine years later, you're doing a sit-down interview a couple of weeks before the Diaz-Mazadal fight. Just what did you make of this whole emergence, especially so when, you know, you had a pretty good relationship with him and something that isn't necessarily media savvy, but clearly knows the business and is totally capitalized on what he's done. Oh, that's, I, I gotta say, like, the, the, the Masvidal story is one of my favorites of all time, because who saw this coming? Like, and, and honestly, like, you guys know other sports, that doesn't happen in sports. Like, in your 17th year, you now become a megastar, mm. 17th year, you're done. Only LeBron, you know, is good in his 17th year, and LeBron was a megastar since day one. Right. Masvidal wasn't. It would be like, I don't know, uh, some, you know, some guy who's just sort of like a, like a, a Marcus Morris, all of a sudden in the 17th year becoming the best player in the league. Like, how, how does that happen? Um, so it's just been amazing to see him get all this attention, get all this love, get all this money, you know, get these big fights in his 17th year. And, you know, his management deserves a lot of credit for that. They really helped reshape him and kind of reset his career. Uh, and he deserves a lot of credit for kind of figuring things out. Um, and now, you know, he's, he's on the verge of fighting for the belt. I mean, it's just such a great story. He's always been a great character. He's always been a great interview. But now the stakes are higher and uh, his impact is, is much greater. So there's, it feels a lot more profound. But he hasn't changed. And that's one of the great things about you know, this sport of, like, there's a lot of big names, and for the most part, they don't change, you know, they're, they're still just the same old guys, um, accessible, because they don't have, like, a million people coming after them for interviews, but they're still, for the most part, some of them have changed, I will admit, but for the most part, you have a lot of guys who, despite their success in the sport, they don't get too big-headed, they don't get too important, or they don't get too difficult to, to, to connect with, um, as you can see, like a lot of them are still on the show and they're still accessible, and that's that's a pretty amazing thing. What would you say? Well, not what, but who would you say was the fighter that drew you to MMA? Because for me, it was George St. Pierre. I, I told the story in the opening of the show how Ariel, I was in Cancun for spring break in 2010. You'll get a kick out of this. I actually went to school in Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo State Bengal. So anytime you, right. cut, you cut promos for the Buffalo Bills, which we'll definitely get to Bills Mafia in a little bit. That always makes me pop. But I, I went down there for spring break, and my buddy George was like, dude, we got to go to this bar to watch. It was the Hardy and GSP card. And, you know, oh, yeah. being a wrestling fan, the only thing I knew about the UFC was the transition of Ken Shamrock coming on over. You know, world's most dangerous man, the early stages of the UFC blowing up. And I knew about Chuck Liddell just because he had that it factor. His look was very unique. It was something that you don't really see on a daily basis. And then I'm at the bar and it is packed out and people are going absolutely bonkers over the UFC. And I was like, oh, there's something. This is like they had a I compared it to a cult like following a. You're a fan of this rapper prior to him blowing up or this, you know, garage band that all of a sudden turns into the Beatles and now everyone's a fan of it. Who was the guy or what was the moment that really told you, you know what, I'm going all in on this thing, not even as a career, just as fandom? You know, there was a moment. So, like, it's kind of a mix of both because I, I obviously I remember like Hoist and uh, Ken back in the day and Mark Coleman and all those guys. 
But the moment that I was sure that like this sport was a here to stay and b something that was worth following and then eventually like worth covering was I was in um, my dorm my uh, my junior year at uh, at Syracuse and I'm flipping through the channels and there was a show back then uh, called the Best Damn Sports Show Period on Fox Sports and I remember flipping through the channels and uh, Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz were on um, as guests. And at that point, like, again, you take it for granted, you know, MMA is on every channel and there's all these different organizations and all this stuff now. But for a general sports show with the likes of John Sally on it to be talking about the UFC back then in 2002 or three was was insane, uh, was very, very, very rare. And it, it made me think like, wow, they're talking about the UFC on best time sports show period. Tito's on and he's doing great and Ken is on and of course Ken was a little more famous because of the WWE stuff but it just made me think like wow there's really something here and people are starting to gravitate towards it and so I don't know if there was necessarily one guy I mean later on you know GSP I'll, I'll never forget being in Montreal when he fought Matt Hughes for the second time at UFC 65 in 2006 and uh, I went to a sports bar very famous sports bar in Montreal called Champ Sports Bar downtown and uh, the amount of people that showed up to watch him and then the uh, the reaction to him winning was like the Canadians had just won the Stanley Cup. I've told that story before and I remember in that moment like wow this, this sport is really resonating with people and you know it's, it's, it's really something special like people are getting emotionally invested in these characters. It's not just like some freak show thing and so you know, it's moments like that, you know, being from Montreal and guys like GSP and David Guazzo and, and the rise of Canadian MMA, you know, obviously uh, was, was something that I was drawn to. Those are some of the people. Um, but just like the the, 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 the the tide rising little by little with the amount of attention that I was getting media-wise was, was pretty amazing. And for me, it kind of started with that Best End Sports Show appearance from, uh, you know, from 2002, 2003 with Ken and, and Tito. Nice. I definitely want to get into some ESPN stuff. So you joined them, I believe, like June of 2018. And I think one of the cool things since you've joined ESPN is that you're writing again. I don't remember you doing much writing when you were MMA fighting. Did you kind of push for you, yourself to get yourself your own column? Or did they like kind of wanted you to get back into writing? It's funny you say that because like I don't love to write. Uh, and I've always said that writing is, is uh, kind of like a means to an end for me because I like doing the video and uh, the audio stuff, and uh, they wanted that. They they wanted me to give more opinion because you know when I was at MMA fighting, I, I did write uh, quite a bit, but it was more like news stuff. Oh, you know, okay. this guy's fighting that guy, um, and I think they they've kind of realized like you know Brett does that, and um, maybe they want more of my opinion stuff. So they've asked me to do that, and you know at first I was a little reluctant, only because. I don't think I'm a particularly good writer. Um, I think that my strengths are, you know, the audio visual stuff, uh, but they, they seem to like it and they say people uh, have responded well to it. So yeah, I do that weekly column um, for every Wednesday and uh, it's, it's fun at times. Sometimes it could be, uh, you know, a bit of a, uh, a challenge, like come up with something interesting after talking on Monday about all kinds of stuff. But I appreciate you noticing and, and, and knowing that I do that. 
And, uh, you know, it's the good thing about being at ESPN is so many different, like, avenues and platforms, you know, between the audio and the video and the dot-com and TV and podcasts and digital. Just, like, so many different ways. And I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I have a, a digital show on, on YouTube. I have an ESPN Plus show with Chael. I have a podcast. I have a presence on dot-com. Um, my show, there's a one-hour version of it on ESPN2 every Tuesday. Uh, I'm very proud that, like, I, I feel like I'm able to check off all the boxes. And uh, not a lot of people get to say that. And that's a big, big thing for me. Uh, I like to consider myself sort of a jack-of-all-trades. And at ESPN, it's perfect for me because they have, you know, so many different avenues for someone like me. And we can't ignore the fact that now they got you sort of like a Swiss Army knife. You're on, you're talking about the Bills after their big win over the Cowboys. You cut that promo about Bills Mafia. You're you're cheering on Lewis Reddick to get you going as well. And now with your NBA coverage. And I think, Ariel, my favorite thing about you is you're still a fan at heart. And I realized that when... You know, you have the big Canadian flag on the inside of your jacket, which is a tremendous suit, by the way. And (laughs) also, you know, anytime someone talks about anything Canadian or the Raptors or even the Bills, you you sort of that that fan inside of you comes out. And it resonates with someone like me who's watching because you're still a fan. And my question to you is, is, is that hard to not sort of, to use the wrestling term, mark out when you see a guy like, you know, you, you had The Rock on your show, some of these MFA fighters that you've looked up to in the past, or even wrestlers or any sort of athletes. Is it hard to keep your composure sometimes and not let the fan completely mark out? You know, to be honest, it's not hard. I appreciate you saying that because other people have said that, especially with the basketball stuff that I've been doing. They're like, man, it's cool to see you kind of in that light um, because, you know, when I, when I came to MMA, one of the things that I noticed was that there was a lot of fans on media row. And what I mean by that, you know, people wearing fighter t-shirts and just not acting professionally, you know, getting selfies and things like that. And I, and I feel very strongly that you shouldn't do that if you're credentialed media. And so I, when I came in, was very diligent about, being the complete opposite of a fan and being down the middle and, and, you know, being as objective as possible and never, you know, Daniel Cormier tells a story about like, he asked me to go for lunch when I first met him in 2009 uh, with, with King Mo. And I'm like, Oh, I don't eat with fighters. That's a taboo. And he's like, Oh, we're going to be friends one day and that's going to change. And so like, I was just very strict about that. And so now that I come over and start doing a little bit of this other stuff, uh, I've kind of, allowed and, and they've wanted me to let my fandom out um, and to like, you know, be who I am and it's okay to show that enthusiasm and that passion. And that's been really amazing. And I genuinely love it. Like I, I I'm, I'm so happy that I could finally show people that I know about other things just as much as I know about MMA. And it would kind of bother me when people would be like, stick to MMA. I'm like, what? Stick to MMA. I was a basketball fan long before I knew what mixed martial arts was. Like, I play basketball, I've coached basketball, I've coached high school basketball. Like, I, I, I know basketball. Trust me, I know basketball. And so you get these idiots telling you, stick to MMA. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. It would drive me insane. And so now I feel like I've started to prove to people that I know other sports as well. And that's been really cool. And it's been nice to be able to, like, kind of let the fan out in me um, as well. And uh, just it's just so much fun getting to do that stuff and getting to show people that I know more about it but it's not hard 
because I, at the end of the day, I still have my principles. Like, I'm not going to ask for selfies and, right. and ask for autographs and all that stuff. I, I still know how to be a professional, but I think, like, the way in which you speak, the way in which you conduct yourself, you can let out the fan in a professional way and not just be a robot. Because, to your point, I think people relate to that. We're all human beings. We all have interests. You know, we're not like just like soulless characters, zombies walking around. It's okay to show some passion as long as you don't cross the line. Yeah, I agree with you with, uh, on that. And I've had the luxury with, you know, starting the show now for about four and a half years. And Alan's been on board and we've got to interview a lot of cool people. But I'd be lying to you, Ariel, if I said if I ever met Stone Cold Steve Austin, all bets are off. I am going uh-huh. to fangirl like I am a 13-year-old at a Justin Bieber concert. I will not be able to control my emotions. <laughs> no, nah, you'll be fine. I mean, look, there, there are moments where you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. I mean, I just had that moment on Friday. I'm talking to Chris Paul on the court, and he's sweating. He's, like, taking me seriously as an NBA, you know, sideline guy. Those are moments where you kind of have, like, these out-of-body experiences, like, whoa. But, like, in the moment when it happens, you know, if you care about the job and you care about the way you're, you're, you know, portrayed and perceived, um, you'll, you'll suck it up. And, 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 and it's okay to have those moments like internally. But my thing is, if you want more of those moments, if you want to talk to more people like that and cross off, you know, more bucket list items, then you have to keep it together. Because if you do make a fool out of yourself, you do, you know, fanboy or whatever, people aren't going to want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, you have to try to find that balance. I do wonder what's going to happen if you're a solid reporter for a Knicks playoff game. Like, how are you going to be able to work around there? Are you just going to say, nah, I can't do it right now? For a Knicks game? Yeah, if, if it's a Knicks playoff game, I'm not going to make any jokes. I know you get offended by Knicks uh, trash talk, but uh, uh, if it uh, happens, like, would you able, be able to do it? Well, as a... No, or- Ariel, I hate, I hate to cut you off, but uh, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. As Knicks fans, I'm a big Knicks fan too. Ariel's not going to have that problem anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. It's not looking like it's happening anytime soon. Uh, I have thought about like the first time I get to do sidelines at MSG, if, if the sideline thing continues. Um, I have thought about that, what that would be, and what it would feel like, and I think it would be a little bit emotional for me because... I remember the first day that I ever went to Madison Square Garden. It was March 11th, 1995, Knicks against Sonic. And to me, that was like a magical place. Um, and uh, to, to, to think that maybe I could like work there and cover a Knicks game would be very special. Now, I would be lying if I said just truly like that the Knicks mean as much to me as, as they once did. Uh, deep down in my soul, they'll, they'll always mean something for me because of you know what they meant in my childhood but this is this isn't the Knicks that I grew up loving and idolizing you know it's not the same team it's not the same franchise it's not the same organization and that's unfortunate and I I really hope that they'll be able to get back to where they once were but man they've got their work cut out for them what was a more fulfilling experience because I want to get to a little bit because I know you're very much a proud Canadian what was a more fulfilling experience when it came to covering these two events UFC 129 at the Rogers Center or Raptors Celtics Christmas Day? Oh, man. Um, man, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'll, I'll probably go with, you know, I'll probably go with the, the Celtics game, the Raptors Celtics game, only because, like, my first time covering an event in Montreal, my hometown, 
uh, that was UFC 97. Um, that was a big deal, like just to be like a credentialed media member at an event at the Bell Center. And UFC 124 was really special as well at the Bell Center because that was a GSP fight against Josh Koscheck, and that was really cool. But man, to do like to do a Christmas game um, in my home country, and it's a basketball game that you know. At this point in my my life and career, that meant a lot. But what the, I have mixed emotions about that game because I, I don't think that I had a particularly great game, um, and I'm a very harsh critic of myself. So like now when I look back, I was like, man, I want another one of those. I want I want to I want to redo. I want a mulligan. Perhaps to the naked eye, people would say like, man, you were fine. But I, I'm very I've never walked away from anything, even my show today or the game on on Friday or anything like that, feeling like, oh, ooh, that was a flawless, flawless performance. Like, I'm, I, I'm usually pretty mad about myself or about something that I said or did or whatever. Um, so that one in particular, I was mad at myself for a couple of things. Uh, but as far as, like, the actual experience, man, that was pretty amazing, especially since it was the first ever Christmas game in Canada. And so, like, be the sideline guy for that, I was like, wow, how the hell did this happen? Ariel, last question coming from me as a big wrestling fan, and Alan gave me a little inside scoop, and from listening to you, I know that you're you're a mark yourself like I am. You have one of my favorite uh, quotes and sayings uh, in, in all of just life itself, how everything is wrestling. And I would tell my friends this in the past, and you see a lot of these fighters, and it really started with Connor. Uh, Conor McGregor came in and he would cut the promos and, you know, the whole selling of the pay-per-view and whatnot. And even with Colby Covington, a lot of people have said from reading some stories about him how he's actually like a really awesome dude. It's just that this gimmick that he's taken on really was what saved him and made him a star in the UFC. What, What are some of the parallels that you enjoy between the wrestling universe and MMA? And I know the fans can get a little hostile sometimes when you hear those comparisons. Yeah, and it's so silly because MMA's roots are in pro wrestling. And anyone, in my opinion, who denies that is just making a fool out of themselves. I mean, if there was no such thing as pro wrestling, there would never be mixed martial arts. And uh, you could see them using elements of pro wrestling all the time. And the best fights, the best rivalries are, you know, rivalries that would work in the world of pro wrestling. Like, Obviously, what makes it better and why I'm so much more intrigued by it now, you know, than I am pro wrestling is that it's, at the end of the day, unpredictable and that it's real. But when you look at, you know, like DC, John Jones, like that's like a real rivalry. Like what, what is pro wrestling all about? It's all about rivalries. You know, it's all about, you, you'll never just have a match for the sake of having a match like on a pay-per-view. Of course, in the buildups and all that stuff, you might have matches for the sake of matches. But pay-per-views, everything has a story. That's why we talk about storylines, right? Um, and there's characters who have developed personalities and you're emotionally invested in their personalities and their stories and their journeys. Those are the best fighters as well, the ones that we're emotionally invested in, um, whether it's Connor, whether it's Ronda, whether it's John Jones, Daniel Cormier, just the random schmoes are people that we don't really care about. And so I feel like all those elements, um, you know, the, the hype videos, Dana White was, you know, a pro wrestling character. He was Vince McMahon. Um, and, and so that's why I feel like at the end of the day, if you compare the two, the only real difference is that one is scripted and one isn't. But all the build-up stuff, the, the backstories, the way they promoted the, the vignettes, all that stuff 
is is straight out of the world of, of pro wrestling. I mean, it's, it's it's like it's right there, and that's why I think it's so funny. And, and then look at some of the biggest names, guys like Brock and uh, Ken Shamrock, and you, you see people come. I mean, the fact that CM Punk was you know welcomed with with open arms. Um, that, that would never happen in, in any other two sports. It, like, you don't even see that in boxing, that kind of crossover. And that's why I feel very strongly about the fact that, um, you know, there's a massive connection between the two. And when I say, like, everything is pro wrestling, it's because even I was watching um, the Democratic debate last week, and I was saying to my wife, like, this is pro wrestling. Like, these characters are just, <laughs> they're, they're pro wrestling characters. You know, like, they all have their, their gimmicks and, their stories and and uh, you know you pick your favorites and all this stuff. Politics is very much like pro wrestling, um, and of course the freaking president has has made cameos. Hall of Famer uh, in the world of pro wrestling. Yeah, Hall of Famer. So yeah, it, it's uh, you know I'd be lying if I said that I watch it as much as I did. As, I mean, not even close. And uh, part of the reason for that is that I just don't have the uh, the time to do that anymore. But that being said, I still have a great appreciation for it and recognize the fact that there's a massive connection between the two. Last question. You see that MMA has worked so hard to get like the recognition and acceptance that it deserves. It's been breaking barriers over the past 20 years. Do you feel like the sport's finally in a great place, or do you still see like there's barriers that you like to see it break? No, there will always be barriers. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, like there's, there's, there's small barriers like, getting it legalized in France and, and things like that. There's still some places that kind of look down on MMA and there's still some stigmas attached. Um, but man, have we come a long way. And, and I, I feel very confident in saying this, not just because I work for ESPN, but I hope people recognize like how much has changed just from the ESPN Definitely. deal starting. I mean, the fact that there was a one hour preview show on ABC prior to the Connor fight, like that's just insane, you know? Um, and the fact that there's just highlights all the time on SportsCenter and the fact that it's all over ESPN.com and, you know, with the plus deal and, you know, ESPN really getting behind combat sports boxing as well. It's just been so amazing. You know, it's, it's really been an incredible thing to see um, and witness. So, and, and to be a very small part of as well. And they're really behind it. They're really invested. I know because I'm there all the time. Um, and so that's been huge. But there's always more that you could do there's always you know bigger um hurdles to climb and it's still look i don't think it'll ever be at the level of you know the nfl or the nba i know dana has wanted that soccer and all that stuff but that's okay but when there's a big big fight you saw it this weekend with the boxing match and you've seen it when when connor fights when there's a big big fight very few things can captivate people like a big big fight like that you know whether it's in las vegas or anywhere in the world like this the stories and the buildup, uh, you don't get that kind of thing in, in any other sport. Um, and I love it. I, I love being at the events. I love, um, you know, playing a small part in the buildup and interviewing the fighters and all this stuff. Uh, I hope that feeling never goes away because uh, it's been a great journey. And now to see the sport continuing to grow, still at this point, like it still feels like it's in the evolution phase. That's really amazing because you can't say that about the other sports and the leagues as well, like the NBA, they are what they are. They change, they evolve over time, but they're kind of there. They've kind of just sort of stagnated in a good way. It's, it's not like it's bad, but it still feels like every three, four years, MMA changes drastically, and it's pretty cool to be able to document that. There's one little barrier I'd like to see him break. 
Connor Khabib in Russia, just because I think the Russian market's so big, and I th- and I think the UFC hasn't quite got that big European event, whether it be in Ireland or Russia. I just think they need to capitalize on that rivalry if you know they can make it happen. I think maybe that's one barrier you could say. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, there's always like, like I said, that that I, I would. I wouldn't necessarily classify that as like big per se. I mean, obviously there's big business. That would be a big deal. But th- those are things that they could control. Like they could easily take that fight there. I don't know if they would for security reasons, but those are things they control. They, they have their reasons for not doing a lot of pay-per-views in Europe because historically when you do an afternoon pay-per-view, it does really poorly on, uh, on, 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 on pay-per-view for America. So, um, I think that's one of the reasons why they, they're hesitant to do that. But that's a hurdle that they could easily cross. I'm talking about acceptance and mainstream media coverage and just kind of being in the conversation um, among the, the other major sports. That's what they've always craved, and slowly but surely they're getting there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've kept them long enough. He won't say it, but I'll say it for him. An icon in the game. Mr. Ariel Hawani, thank you so much for your time. We kept you a little longer than... Uh, we had agreed on, no but, but you're the man, and we appreciate it. Forever grateful for that. The floor is yours. Tell people all the stuff that you're doing. If they don't know, if there's anything you want to promote or plug, uh, the floor is yours, my friend. No, I appreciate it, man. Uh, nothing to, to really promote. You can find my stuff on uh, all the ESPN places, YouTube and all that stuff, uh, ESPN Plus and podcasts. But uh, I appreciate you guys having me on very much. Uh, keep up the great work, you know. Um, you gotta, you gotta work at it. And, and at times it, it, it can be tough and you, you may think like, where, where are things going? Uh, but if you just, whatever it is, whether it's being a media member, uh, whether it's being a, a tailor, a doctor, whatever, you just got to keep working at it. So I respect the fact that you guys are grinding and uh, working. And, uh, I know that Alan's asked me a few times to come on and you know, I'm sorry, I, I sometimes I'm reluctant to do the interviews just because I feel like I'm, uh, a little bit all over the place and uh, you get enough of me and I don't want to, you know, overexpose myself, but uh, I'm always happy to, to come on and, and, uh, and help out. And I enjoyed the conversation. You guys asked really great questions. So uh, I appreciated that as well. Thank you. No problem. Man. And you know, for our listeners, whether I, like, I met you in 2012 and we all know you're just genuinely a good person. Like it's not a gimmick. There's no, ad. Like, you've always been really good to me and I've always you know, enjoy our conversation whenever I run into, whether it be an event or in just uh, whatever it may be. So that's why I kind of want to get you on because if people don't realize that you're always been very personable, whether it may be. So that's another thing that I would appreciate. And like I said, you know, what you're doing with the NBA, I think it's really great work and just taking it to another level to keep. Maybe one day you do boxing, who knows? But, you know, keep up the phenomenal work and, you know, we look forward to your coverage, you know, going to Asanya Romero and going forward. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've always been kind. I, I appreciate the emails. Uh, about your mom and and uh, and uh, your insights into things. Um, sometimes you like to troll me on Twitter. Don't think I don't notice that. Although I feel like you've calmed down a little bit on the trolling. Which yeah, how uh, right. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying to be professional, uh, Ariel. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I might have even told you that a couple times. So that's good. I'm happy that you're uh, you're. Listening we, to my advice. We gotta grow up a little bit, even though the heat mix robbery has kind of died down, which helps. That's right. That is very true, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm uh, very happy that you guys had me on. I appreciate it. I wish you guys nothing but the best. Did a shit my whole life. Yeah.
It's time. It's time for a roll call. Shout out to our patrons. Corey Johnson Hoops. Nick Chavez. Bo Clore. My guy, Flying Ryan Pisner. Derek Pleates. Christopher Velasquez. And of course, Daniel Gibson. Thank you all for your monthly donations to the brand. Did a shit my whole life. So, man, that was. I've been waiting to do that one. Yo, that's. That's all you're doing, my friend. That's my guy. So I, uh, uh, no, no, no. This is your time now. <laughs> I I appreciate it. You you've done a lot for the show, and uh, thank you. This was your get, as uh, most of the guests seem to be. But uh, I'm I'm forever grateful for that, and I appreciate it. And I got something up my sleeve for you, man. I got something good up my sleeve. But with that being said, time to turn heel on you. Oh, so in 2012, Ariel was doing this event at uh, Beller Jimmy's. It was Alexander Gustafson versus Tiago Silva. It was a, just a fight night in Stockholm, and he had like a fan event. He's just like, who like wants a meet to come and greet on? Yeah, meet and greet thing. Party. He was working for Fox at the time. It was pretty small, but I just remember being 19 years old. I was like kind of lost. I was like, I was just before I even got to Brook. I was going to like community college. I was just starting to come up in media. I was like, I didn't know what I really wanted to do, and. You know, I've started to appreciate his work a bit. That's when he actually started interviewing CM Punk a bit. So that's when I started, because this is back from my huge wrestling fanboy days. So I went to the event, and I just sat actually like three seats away, and he was just so forthcoming. And then we talked afterwards, and he just kind of gave me the layout, because I was like, well, what are you pursuing? I was like, yeah, I really want to get into journalism, even though my parents are only behind it. They want me to go into more marketing. He's like, well, look, if you do as a minor, go for it. So he gave me not only real career advice, but he was just so forthcoming for me. Like he just couldn't have been more welcoming. We talked for a good fifteen trends about wrestling, MMA, basketball. Once I told him I was a Heat fan, he was a little pissed off because you know, he's a diehard Knicks yeah, fan. And yeah. I'm not too much of like a crazy Heat fan more, but at the time, just I loved the way he was my favorite players. So we kind of like went out a little bit with that. So and eventually, just getting to see him every now and then. And then when I was coming for MMA a bit, I was at a couple events and we would run into each other. And he just always gave him the time of day to talk and like. From then on, since it was like 2013, got his email and, you know, he just always appreciated how kind of was. As for the trolling thing, it was just a little more like canon when it came to basketball a little bit. It may at the time I was in college and, you know, just trying to come up in football in May, you start feeling yourself a bit. But with him, he's just someone that always helped me out when it came to your career advice or me. Like he actually got me into an event when they came here. This was, MMA wasn't even legalized in New York yet. This was a they were promoting. They were trying to get legalized. They had like Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, Ricardo Lamas, Henan Burrell for this thing. Like Lorenzo Frutita was there. And I remember going to Brook that day. I was ready to go to class. And I was like, you know, they're doing an event here. I saw him tweet out and I DM'd them. I was like, it was like, can I get into this? He's like, yeah. Because at the time I was working with What Culture and MMA Suck. I was working for two different websites. You were at What Culture? Yeah. That's dope, I was there I like for, some of their stuff. I was there for about a year between, because this was before SB Nation days. So that's why I had the time to do MMA. So he got me in there. And that was like one of the coolest events I interviewed. Don McCruz, my favorite MMA interview to this day. Couldn't have been a cooler guy. And he, Don McCruz is so intelligent, so mm. that's why I appreciate it. And yeah, just small things like that you never forget. I'm going to Mass Square Garden right now for a press conference. Lorenzo Fertitta is right there. Dana White. Chris Wyman was also there, although he was just he wasn't fighting for it. I think at the time he just beat Anderson, so he wasn't really fighting. He was just there to represent. So since then, we've just been buddies. And even though he he's blown up and he's doing his all day now he's still someone if i reach out to him 
he'll respond within like 24 hours. So just have those relationships is very key. Cause one thing I always say media just kindness goes a long way. Took the words right out of my mouth. Just and be good, man. Just it, be good to people. Yeah. Especially people that are very credible and people are really doing something in the industry. So that's what I've always appreciated. And just, I think interviewing so hard and just seeing some of his interviews with Connor and John Jones, like to do 30, 45 minutes, like in person, I think it's such an incredible skill to have. Like I'm not the best interviewer. I'm still trying to, uh, perfect my craft at it so uh yeah that's kind of like a story of how i kind of got together it's someone i always wanted to have on but i want to wait till after nfl season because nfl season is so demanding so that's why although i did briefly mention him because we ran to him in november we saw yeah, like peter rosenberg and chelsea son and yeah i was gonna mention yeah. how that was my first interaction with him and it was really cool i didn't even mention that i was wearing the rock jacket uh-huh. and he actually pointed it out on uh, on the radio there and yeah. i went up i took a picture with him if you guys go to the Instagram, you'll see it on there, too. And he was like, hey, man, really cool jacket. I like it. He's like, yeah. what's the story behind it? I was like, oh, it's this company. They do these jackets and, and all that. And I was like, dude, I love how you say everything is wrestling. And he's like, yeah, man, everything's wrestling. <laughs> and then we took a photo. And then I didn't even know that you had this relationship with him because I, I don't know if you remember this. We were a couple of IPAs in, but I was like, dude, I want to interview him one day. You're like, yo, I know him. Like, yeah, I can yeah. I can reach out. I was like. Alan, we just NFL. You know NFL scenes demanding, man. Like Jesus we 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 were so heavy into NFL. I was like, wait, nah, till, I feel you, man. Wait, yeah, wait, yeah. wait till off season. We're gonna make it happen. Well, and, that's why that's why yeah. I like in the off season too. Like I said, that wasn't you know that's a that's a shoot to use a wrestling term. Yeah. How a lot of times where right now it's Monday night, but Alan and I might not link up for another week and a half yeah. two weeks you know so a lot of it is it's the you don't have the time restraints of football where it's very hard to. I use the week three analogy. You're not going to listen to a week three preview show in week five. So right. it's a little difficult unless you have like a special interview piece and whatnot. That's what I've come to notice when you look at the analytics of the shows and whatnot. But, uh, man, it was great. And, and I'm forever grateful for his time. We yeah. told him 20 to 25 minutes when we went about <laughs> 45, which was really cool. He got into it. Yeah. We talked about it in passing about Fury Wilder. That was over the weekend. Uh, whether it was in the interview and also in the beginning of the show. Dude, what do you think about the, the fight? I know how you feel about Fury, but we'll save that for a different conversation. How do you feel about this fight, bro? I thought it was going to be more of a chess match because in the first fight, Fury came out a little more conservative. I think also because that was his first year back in boxing because he was gone 2016, 17, 4. It was three years off. Yeah, because Klitschko, he beat, I think, in like November 2015. Then he took a couple of tune-up fights in 2018, but then the Wilder fight was like in December 2018. And that was just something where... He wanted to fight more of the back foot because, as you know, Wilder is just as wild, as aggressive as it gets. I didn't expect Fury to come out that aggressively. And uh, obviously, he has the technical advantage. He has incredible footwork, great head movement. But just how he consistently landed before like every exchange, he landed first. And people were a little concerned going to fight Fury, put on like 17 pounds. They were wondering, oh, he's now weighing like 270. How does it affect him? Meanwhile, Wilder actually put on 20 pounds as well. So I think that was underrated storyline is how was the weight gain for both fighters going to affect each other. Because I remember the first fight, Wilder was like 209, while Fury was like 256. Now both are a little more heavier. But Fury is just so fluid. And by that third round, he would just pick him apart. And that's when he knocked him down. And yeah, I was told, completely blown away. Did not expect it to be that one side of a beating. Not at all. Also, we just had a couple of months ago... Andy Ruiz fights Joshua and he put on about 20 pounds and he looked completely well, out of it. he's someone that shouldn't have put on I know. I, I understand. But yeah. also when you look at the parallels between the two guys, yeah. look, you look at Joshua, you look at Wilder, that's the prototype of a perfect build for, for a fighter or just, just in general. Like, they have great bodies. You look at the other guys. I saw, I saw a funny meme. It was like, this is a big win for people that never want to do abs again. It was just like Andy Ruiz and it was uh, Tyson Fury. But yo, I always thought 
And look, I, I hate pile on culture and everyone's just, you know, turn their back on Wilder, which I think is ridiculous. No, but it's a great story. But the the as a boxer, I'm not Teddy Atlas, but just as a boxer, it seemed like Fury had more tools in his shed where Wilder had that one right hand. Mm-hmm. And I understand a lot of people are giving heat to his corner for throwing the towel in. I loved it. Yo, fighters have literally died because of boxing injuries. Yeah. It's like no other sport in the world. It's even more different than MMA. And these are heavyweights. Not only that. Yeah, actually that's a big that's a yeah, yeah. That's a big part of it. But also, think about this, dude. In boxing, where can you strike? Only the head and the body. Head and body. Yeah. In MMA, essentially, and it's quite possible me and you get into a fight and I shoot a double leg on you. And then I take your back and I choke you out in 30 seconds. I never throw a blow to your head. I never throw a kick. That's something that can happen. How many times have we seen fighters just, you know, up? Oh, oh, he's a wrestler. Don't let him go. Oh, he got his hands on him. That's it. Sure, there's some ground and pound, but you also have the referees are more inclined to stop fights. A guy gets knocked down. Dude, in, an, in a UFC fight or an MMA fight, the way Wilder went down in that third round, a lot of times they might have waved that off. And I felt as if that was the biggest turning point of the fight. I know that's not exactly a, a, a hot take, but I thought that the lights were on, but no one was home after that. He was struggling to balance himself. Like he was literally using the ropes because Fury kept backing him up. He was using the ropes to gain this. And there's a lot more clinching in this fight. The first fight, there was barely any. I was shocked to see how much, well, not shocked because he was rocked, but just the first fight, there was barely any clinching. Boxing, like Klitsch goes notorious for always jab, jab, clinch. This fight, I just felt like Wilder was holding on just because he was just trying to regain his composure. But eventually, by that fifth round, he got hit by that body shot. And, yeah, I, he was just always on the ropes. And it's just a fortune because I know going to a fight, I thought it was going to be a real classic. Because that first fight was such a classic. I loved every bit of it. Even though Fury clearly won and he got kind of robbed, I just expected a little more out Wilder. And now, who knows what happens. But credit to Fury, man. Just what a redemption story. I think one of the greatest things in sports, period. And I think he's someone that really shut up a lot of critics because the American audience, even though he is signed to ESPN top ranked and he is a pretty much a global superstar, I would say, I still feel like the American audience doesn't quite, uh, I don't know, connect with him or or quite know him as well. And now it's like you better recognize him. He just pulverized you know the the new great American hope because we haven't seen American heavyweight quite like someone like Deontay Wilder and now. He just got pulverized pretty much. And now I hope Tyson Fury, he could go to America. Because he's been taking a couple of fights in America. But now I think he's someone that pretty much could go anywhere he wants and you know, sell out arenas. He did mention how if there is going to be a rematch or a trilogy, he wants it at Raiders Stadium. 70,000 hey, people. And Bob Arum. Bob Arum's like the biggest promoter. You want to talk about like the Vince McMahon of boxing? Yeah. Bob Arum's up there, so he will make it happen. So You didn't have a problem with the stoppage, did you? As no, far as throwing in the towel? Not I thought that was... I, I thought if you are criticizing the corner for Deontay Wilder, I think that is one of the more selfish acts that you can uh, put out right now because you just wanted that solely for entertainment and for the $80 that you spent on the pay-per-view because that guy had nothing left. And you and, got your entertainment sort That third round was insane. Yeah, but I also think that it, the corner did its job. It's supposed to protect the fighter. Right. And like I said before, Patrick Day last year, 27-year-old American, he died four days after his fight. Mm-hmm. He had that one video about the cornerman who was talking to his fighter. He's like, he's like buddy, we gotta, I got to stop this. And the mm-hmm. fighter's like, no, nah, man, no, I want He's like, dude, I got to stop this. And then a couple of days later, he dies too. You can literally die in these fights, man. And it's these fighters, they say they want to go on their shield because now we see some of the comments that Wilder's saying it's I, I very think, problematic. I think that's 
That's arguably one of the dumbest things that I hear. You got to go out on your shield. No. Because you have to look at your future. It's like, yeah. Look, Wilder has eight kids. He has a big family. Like, it's just, you want to be able to see your kids. You want to be able to, you know, speak. Because you see a lot of bosses now. They slur a lot. When you know talk. who's dope, dude? Andre Ward. Oh, he's one of the best. He got out at the right time. Got out at the right time. They've offered him some big fights. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, man, I'm good. I did what I wanted to do. I've saved my money. Now I got That's this dope thing. gig. Can where, you save your money? Do you invest well? Right, yeah. right. And I got this dope gig now, and I can speak properly. I don't have no head issues or whatnot. Yeah, you articulate yourself well. And and that's it. Yeah. And I I cannot believe that they got heat for throwing in the towel, dude. He had nothing left. And and I yeah. and we were talking about it before we started recording how oh the right hand it's 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 one hit and Wilder even said you know you got to be perfect for 12 rounds I just need one second it's like yeah dude I feel you I respect it most decorated knockout artists in boxing history 42 wins 40 of them are by knockout which is absurd right but we were saying how it looked like it was like patty cake he has nothing straight backyard brawling it was very sloppy and Wilder does have a tendency of getting overly wild but this is the point where it just like there's no power towards it. It's just he's just throwing just the throw at this point. He's just beyond desperate. And you're finding someone as skilled as Tyson Fury, it's just not going to work out. You're just going to take more of a prolonged beating, which it was. So, you know, going to Corman is just, you know, the aftermath is definitely a little concerning. Just hearing some of Wilder's comments and now him possibly, you know, talking about, oh, I wanted, you know, go out my shield. It's just, I think Fire's got to be smart. He's, especially with, you know, all the information we got on CTE and all the other stuff that's going on, whether it's in football, combat, sports. Just fighters got to be more intelligent. It's like, okay, you have this alpha male, you have this warrior mentality, but there's times where you're just, you got to accept your, you got outclassed and, you know, you just have to hope you can fight another day. Last thought on this. Do you think that's a boxing thing? No, I think because it's, of I think the, it's a whole combat sports thing. It's still MMA fighters that are like that. No, no, I understand that. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is in boxing, I, I saw some people tweeting about how he's no longer a draw because he lost. It's no. like, dude, one of the biggest draws in combat sports is Mazadal and Nate Diaz, yeah. and those and guys have boxing like, are quite different when it comes to draws, though. Yeah, I get that, but yeah. but still, I would, I would no, still, Wal- I still want to see Joshua and Wilder. Yeah, Wilder still tra- Wilder's still a major attraction because dude, they, his highlight reel is absurd. There's nothing like it. Like, who doesn't want to watch that guy fight? Just you know, if you have the right opponent. But even when he was taking a couple fights towards this, he's fought uh, Luis Ortiz and uh, Dominic Brazil. People are still watching, and people want to see him. You know add to his highlight reel he just he's a freak talent and i think he's someone that has a very inspiring story coming from alabama so now i had I, no idea why his name was the bronx bomber until i looked into it oh. like eight months after you first started boxing you won a bronze medal yeah that's so absurd or, or like it was around a year or mm-hmm. something which is crazy dude now he's still a major attraction he's he'll be fine i just think you know him looks like gonna take a third fight with fear i just think that's not a good move at all and i just wonder what his management team's like you know what they're trying to plan out but you know, time will tell. Yeah, I guess that's all you could say at this point. But I, I still think it delivered. And I just, I love the fact with both fighters. I think both of them are just very likable. I think they have great personalities. They excel the hell out of a fight. Both very inspiring stories. Both guys that really came from the trenches and really worked their way up. They didn't get, they really didn't get much when it came to like promotion. They had to really build themselves up. So, you know, the first fight was incredible. The second fight, uh, the promotion towards it was really good. But uh, I'm happy for both guys. I think they really helped build up the heavyweight division again like we're we care about heavyweight boxing him because these guys and for a long time it was kind of irrelevant because klitschko just didn't gravitate towards people so seeing these two and joshua and who knows maybe ruiz could bounce back you know he's got to lose probably 20 pounds but uh 
yeah, heavyweight boxing, it's always been a great spectacle. And to have it back where it's literally you had ESPN and Fox co-aligning to do it. Like, you don't see that. And zone too. Well, zone has... Well, not for this fight, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for this fight, you had ESPN. Fox right, right, right. Yeah, it was a joint. Yeah, yeah, so to get that, that's how you know like both guys are superstars. So to see that moment, it's just cool because like at Ariel stuff, but just, you know, seeing these nights where combat sports rules over everything, it's it's really cool. There you have it, guys. Jam-packed episode of combat sports, a little boxing, a lot of MMA. Once again, shout out to Ariel Hawani. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. Alan, where can they find you if they want to contact you? Alan underscore Stark. That's A-double-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. You working on anything, bro? I know you randomly pop up with, like, articles and shit. Uh, not the moment. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, my next move. But right now, we're just going to stay active with the podcast. But I'll definitely keep you guys informed. Guys, this week, we're dropping the first part of our top 25 quarterbacks of the 2000s, the best quarterbacks of the 2000s. That episode's going to be up on patreon wednesday evening for one dollar you could join the patreon support the show and your money goes to good causes and for the rest of you that episode will be up on monday so as far as i go at veterans minimum is where you can find the show and we will catch you guys next time Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.